Good afternoon. Guten Tag. <laughs> well, it's the Read This, Watch That podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm Dale. So what are we talking about today, sir? Das Fischermann. Der. Der Fischermann. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Der Pardon. Fischer. Pardon my, uh, my bad German. Yes, Since, we're... Yeah. Go ahead. Yep. No, we are we are talking about um, a fairly recent novel um, written by called The Fisherman. I think it was 2016, if memory serves, I could be off. Um, but uh, uh, written by someone who I believe teaches at SUNY New Paltz and writes from time to time, um, and specifically about the region of the country in which he lives, which is near and dear to my heart. It's in the Hudson River Valley, and more specifically, this novel is set uh, primarily um, near the Ashokan Reservoir and the Catskill Mountains. In and around Woodstock, in through there, the reservoir, Ulster County, John Langan, L-A-N-G-A-N. There's another number of other books called The Fisherman. So make sure if you <laughs> if this if, if this whets your appetite for some reason, it's John Langan. Yeah, he's a SUNY New Paltz professor, teaches creative writing and gothic literature, which Ooh. makes makes sense after reading The Fisherman. Yes, absolutely. So since this is relatively new, unlike the other two novels we tackled, which were going on 50 years old, we thought we'd try to keep the spoilers to a minimum, in particular the ending. I mean, we're going to have to talk about some stuff. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be completely spoiler-free, but maybe we should kind of stay away from the maybe the ending. Absolutely. And, and even reveal too much about what is going on <laughs> in the book. As much as we can, although we'll we'll have to discuss some of that. I'm not sure if I can reveal too much about what is going on because some of it was kind of confusing. <laughs> so Lang, it looks like Langan's written a couple novels. He's written a he's been published a bunch of short stories in various mm-hmm. anthologies. He's not terribly prolific. Um, you know, does the short story thing. Writes. I mean, think there's. If memory serves, there's four to five years between novels. So he's not a full-time professional writer pumping out books and, and stories all the time. He teaches at, like you said, SUNY New Paltz. Um, and I think the novels are seem to be few and far between. And this may have been his latest one. I'm not that I did not look up. But how did you learn about this? I learned about this from my brother, who is a high school English teacher and a fan of horror and um, fantasy science fiction literature. Um, and he and I were talking about books not all that long ago and, and things that we were reading. And, um, and I think we were talking actually specifically about H.P. Lovecraft. And he said, oh, well, you should read this new book or relatively new book. And he gave me a copy, which I was very thankful for. Is he in that area? 
He's uh, it's, it's the other side of the river. Um, so on the, for those who don't know, the, the Catskills and the Ashokan Reservoir, Ulster County are on the west side of the river. My brother lives on the east side of the river, but not too far away from, from the area. And we grew up in that, in that general area, a little bit, um, a little bit south of there. And in fact, my brother teaches at a school that is across the street from the IBM building that's referred <laughs> to in the book. So <laughs> I know at least some of the area very well. That's funny. That's funny. Um, I kind of sort of, I didn't grow up near that area, but for business purposes, I've been by the reservoir a few times, you know, I've been to Woodstock, uh, some of the other places they mention. So I know it. it's a really nice, I, it's a nice, it's a nice part of New York state. The Catskills are a pretty cool area. Lots of things to do. Um, yeah. After reading this, I don't know if I will, but other people may want to explore that, that area. I'm just going to read. I'm a big advocate, by the way. It's a beautiful area. If you haven't gone hiking in the Catskills, you really should. And um, I would I would recommend going to Wittenberg Mountain in particular because you get a beautiful view eastward where you actually look over the Ashokan Reservoir and across the the Hudson River. It's it's spectacular. It's an, it's a really interesting area. I was asked to speak. I've been asked to speak a number of times to groups of investigators on various uh criminal and civil investigators on a number of number of topics and one of them was held in uh, one of those old Catskill resorts was it the Bohonk Mountain House I I don't believe so and off the top of my head I cannot remember it but driving up this one kind of windy road not too far from Palinville um, I think it was what you know they used to say there's the Jewish Alps, the Irish Alps, and the German Alps. Yeah. Uh, talking about the resorts. <laughs> this one was a German. I was in the German area. Some of those are still open. They're used mostly for... Con- I don't think anyone really does the let's go to the Catskills for two months in the summer anymore. No, but exactly. some, some of the older ones are still open. And there are venues for weddings and, and family get-togethers. But this place was in, in pretty good condition there was a couple of buildings there and where we i had to give the um the talk was in a portion it was in a building across just across the driveway from the main the main house but they had a bowling alley and it was probably five or six lanes but i'm telling you this this was circa 1940s mm. um everything was wood even the even the even the the mechanism that returns the balls. Oh wow! To you, like polished wood and everything. It was it was it was kind of neat. That's an interesting interesting area. I'm just going to read the um, description, so it's not a spoiler because it's the description of the book I have on my on my um, nook in upstate New York in the woods around Woodstock. Dutchman's Creek flows out of the Ashokan Reservoir. Steep banked, fast moving, it offers the promise of fine fishing and of something more, a possibility too fantastic to be true. When Abe and Dan, two widowers who have found solace in each other's company and a shared passion for fishing, hear rumors of the creek and what might be found there, the remedy to both their losses, they dismiss it as just another fish story. Soon, though, the men find themselves drawn into a tale as deep and old as the reservoir 
It's a tale of dark packs, of long-buried secrets, and of a mysterious figure known as Dan Fisher, the fisherman. It will bring Abe and Dan face-to-face with all that they have lost and with the price they must pay to regain it. You know, one of the things that struck me about reading this book was it's... When you told me about it, I I was wondering, is this going to be more of a terror novel as opposed to horror, meaning leaving a lot to your own imagination to scare you as opposed to Mm. showing you things? It's it's a horror horror story. Yeah. But it's a horror story on two levels. It's about these two widowers. Abe is the main narrator for the, the story that takes place in the current time when the book was written. 2016 um he lost a a wife at a young age after a very brief marriage never never recovered fully kind of sought solace in alcohol and ultimately got a little you know got better by finding solace in something like fishing which is probably slightly maybe healthier than 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 um the alcohol Unless you're fishing in Dutchman's Creek. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> um, and the other the other main character for the the current, you know, the the twenty sixteen story is is Dan and his stories. You know, there's nothing light and fun about this novel. There's just <laughs> nothing. <laughs> he lost his wife and two kids. Yeah. And starts to fish with Abe after, um, you know, after a number of, he just spirals downward after the loss of his wife and kid in a car accident at an intersection I've been through. I know exactly where he was talking about. And that's, that's kind of a neat thing. Rarely, rarely are we able, um, you know, just, I, I suppose if we lived in New York city, LA, Miami, Chicago, we could find thrillers, mystery novels, uh, literature, straightforward, you know, lit uh, horror novels, all, you know, all based there. But I really rarely, this isn't the first time, but rarely get to read something where I'm familiar with the, the locale. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, particularly when it's, when it's a more rural setting. And I'll just note where I live in suburban um, Virginia, outside of Washington, DC, one of the more famous, uh, spies used to live um, and he used to do his drops to Russian operatives in the park across the street from, from my neighborhood. Um, was that, who was that? I can't remember the guy's name now, um, but he lived in a couple of places um, in, in and around the town, you know, where, oh, where I live. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that I, I got a little bit of that, that, but, but yeah, no, it, it, it is, it is a nice thing. And for people from the Hudson Valley, I mean, I think I don't know of all that much literature or films really that, that spend time in there's some, um, you know, some examples out there, but not, um, not that many. And you're right, by the way, this novel start, I'm going to talk a little bit about the writing, but from a kind of a mood perspective, you know, these are two really damaged people and, and our hero, Abe, even though he has found solace in in fishing and has kind of recovered himself and he's he's no longer in a deep alcoholic spiral you know he's still um someone who has not really returned 
to the world to find a, another companion. He's figured out how to survive, but not really thrive. I would, I would argue in the world. And, and, um, his friend, Dan, um, is fresher, right? The story takes place when Dan's, um, wife and children have died, you know, much, much, much more recently than, than Abe's family has died. Um, uh, and so he's just in this terrible spiral and, and maybe coming out of it, right. Which is the, the fishing part, right. They're going to, they're going to go fishing together and that has saved Abe. And so maybe that'll save Dan as well. Yeah. Are you, do you fish? I don't. I'm, I, I fish. I did not fish this past summer. I fished a ton when I was a kid. Because even though I, I grew up in a town next to, you know, a fairly decent sized urban area, we still have plenty of ponds, lakes and streams. And that was one of the things we always used to do, you know, in the summertime between like baseball games and everything else. We just get on our bikes and check out this pond and, 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 and that stream. And mm-hmm. I and when I was in law school, I did the same thing during the summers or if I was home on the weekends when the weather was fine, I just go out to our reservoir which is which is a big big reservoir it's it's not probably much like ashokan actually it, in terms of width not not very wide you could probably swim parts of it but it's very deep and it's very long and you could just like pick a trail go down the trail check out this spot got your you know got your well at the time you know your your iPod listening to podcasts or listening to music, have your cup of coffee and just sit and fish or explore. And it's a, it doesn't really matter too much what you catch. So I, I kind of, at least in, in that regard could understand how, even though it might sound a little mundane, how Abe could kind of get, get lost in kind of that excitement about, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I heard about this Creek. I'm going to you know drive, 40 minutes, 30 minutes and, and ch- explore and check it out. And next week I'll do another one. And next week I'll, I'll try this place. And you know, so I, I, that kind of sh- struck home to me, uh, mm-hmm. of made sense that someone, someone in Abe's position would actually um, maybe trade one addiction for another. Yeah. Right. Which right, is right, right. frequently the case. So this, the basic setup is, Dan bonds somewhat with Abe because of the loss they share, and they both they both start fishing. And one of the places Abe used to stop, and then Dan would stop. You know, and then when Dan was there, they'd stop together for breakfast. Was this was this um, diner? Where was the diner? Did they say what town it was in. I don't remember, but they I somewhat a little bit south of the reservoir, but I can't remember the, the town. Was it in Ulster or Ulster Park? Or I, uh, I could be wrong. I have no I, idea. I can't remember. It makes me wonder if it's kind of based on a real place since the guy's from there. Yep. Um, and they hear this story. One of the, one of the things, you know, I got some criticisms of this book. I, it's not, and I'll talk, we can talk later. It's probably not one I'd ever I'd ever revisit, but there's some really good things too that I liked. And one of the things I'm a sucker for is a layered, mm. a layered story. And it, it doesn't have to be 
anything complicated, but in this case, now stop me if I'm if I get this wrong, okay? Because it's Langan's telling us a story that Abe's telling. Abe hears the story from the owner or the cook at this diner. The cook heard the story from a minister. The minister got the story from an elderly an elderly woman that was part of his parish who had been a German immigrant towards the, the turn of the century. The elderly woman experienced some parts of the story, heard some from her father and heard some from a man who would, who would become her husband. And then even then, that man, even though he, he experienced a lot of the story, heard some more of the background from his wife's, you know, his father-in-law, Rainer, Schmidt, right? Were they Schmitz? Was that the Schmitz? Schmitz. Yes. Yeah, Schmitz. So you got this kind of like multi-layered thing, and on top of that, you have, I would say half, half the story, maybe even slightly less than half, set in the modern day, and then a good chunk set what turn of the set like nineteen? Well, when they're well, building no, the uh, reservoir, uh, oh, seven to well before even they they. It, 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 it begins even before the the reservoir is um, the construction has begun. Um, it, oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's it, and and you're right. I mean, this is this is a and I'll just make this comment now since we're talking about kind of the the framing of how the story is told. It's it's very much and you get this kind of right from the beginning. It's you know it's a fish story, right? Kind of a kind yeah. of a setup and he's and he's kind of sets it up that way right from the first sentence i think he says call me abe right and he's um hearkening back of course to moby dick um but he tells these the story that ends kind of right around the time you know by the time you get to the end of the book time that the book is written but chunks of it take place a few years ago because the uh, his encounter with dan happens in the past so there's that bit of past then there's um you know the death of his wife which is even further back and then we have um the story that begins sometime in i think in the 19th century um that takes us through the early teens i guess um or thereabout which is lottie's story and maybe even a little bit a little bit further um and they're all stories and stories and stories. So it's this, it's, it's, I really liked it that way. It, it has a, it has a really, inter- it, it, it exists within a very interesting structure and context. And I think helps set mood, it helps set tone. And it also helps to, um, I think, convey that, I'll call it kind of Lovecraftian sense of horror that I think he's going for. It's done well. It's not as confusing as it may sound. It's, right. It, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it flows quite nicely. It's, it's yep. not confusing at all. No, and, I, and, it, and on that point, I mean, I would, rec- it, I would recommend reading it. Uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a fine book. Is it perfect? No. Um, is it one that I'm going to return to? Probably not. 
but I enjoyed reading it. And there were some moments of real creepiness and there were some scary moments and, and a lot more moments of real creepiness too. <laughs> I'm glad, I, I'm glad I read it. I, like I said, I probably won't return to it, but that's, you know, that's all right. Um, yeah. It's for, and I don't read a lot of horror. I just, um, sometimes I'll get in a groove and, and, and start enjoying some short stories. Maybe I'll return to a Stephen King novel that I have not read in, in forever. It's just, I always found, when I had found Stephen King early on, when I read, um, I read Salem's Lot, then I read The Shining. I, I was, you know, in middle school and then early portion of high school. Um, a lot of the other things that were coming out contemporaneously with King was pretty weak tea, poor, yes. poor, poorly written, a kind of a almost a barely veiled ripoff trying to sound like King and, and do some of his things. I'm sure there was great stuff out there, but I just, you know, I would see that, you know, when you had um, all you had was like Walden books and and, you know, you walk in and they pretty much dictated what you would read because those were the things they stocked. Yeah. Yeah. Which, oh, the scariest thing ever. And you read it's like, first of all, I'm in, <laughs> I'm in 10th grade and I know this is written shitty. It's not scary at all. And, and, you know, but then you read the black, the back, the blurbs on the back and it's, Oh, there's a new Stephen King. This guy's, oh, this is crap. So much like, much like having Tolkien be my first experience of, of, kind of that high fantasy. Yeah. I actually, it, which I loved, and I loved a couple of the Steve, Stephen King novels I read, did not end up being a big horror fan in terms of reading stuff or a big fantasy guy just because it seemed like I maybe I started a little too high. And my expectations, <laughs> yeah. my expectations were just, just always that. So I kind of shied away from a lot of that. All that, to say this is a decent combination of horror and somebody who I wouldn't say is a magnificent writer, but struck me as, as a cut above a lot of the, the tripe I would run into in, in terms of his literary ability. I agree. I think it's extremely well written for what it is. He can, he conveys, I think the mood that he wants to convey, he changes tone and texture um, when he when he wants to very effectively, um, I think he's a he's a craftsman, and I think he I, I think that uh, I think that he's done a good job with the book. So, what we basically have is Abe and Dan hear a story from the again. I'm sorry, was he the owner or just the cook? I, I think he's remember. described as the cook, but I think he may have been the owner as well. I Who happens to be named Howard? Originally from Providence, Rhode Island, you know, so little tip of the hat, probably to Lovecraft, I'd imagine. Presumably. Tried his hand at writing, but he tells a story and it's, a, it's, this is a, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A, a witchcraft, a sorcery story. And it's about essentially with, I don't want to give away too much, but it's, it's basically about a man who shows up in town what town was it? Some, uh, something station? Um, yeah, Hurley Station. I, I think I would characterize it a little bit differently. I, I, I mean, I would call it more Lovecraftian, kind of 
old ancient beings. And I think the sorcery part of it is the access point. But it's to me, it's more people meddling with the old and ancient as opposed to, you know, kind of a black magic sorcery sort of a thing. Although it has that kind of those sorts of elements to it. Well, there's this old there's this old prominent family um, the and the patriarch of the family marries and some guy shows up in town. Now we're talking about what the late 1890s. I think well, it's earlier. It's than earlier that. than that. It's like yeah. the Civil War era, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although the guy we're talking about who's kind of this miserable dude, um he lives for quite a long time. He lives very um, long. Yeah. Long enough he, to fight the fight the 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 reservoir. <laughs> the creation of the reservoir loses. Yes. But, but tries to stop it in any event. Um so what we have is a man who who marries um kind of the the belle of the area someone everyone really likes and she's beautiful and she's fun and she ends up that almost sounded like a political marriage Mm. um she ends up dying yes um this this mysterious shadowy figure shows up in town ends up living with this i forget the man's name i apologize i i've read this a while ago and um the the original kind of man who invites the fisherman cornelius dort dort yes old dutch family yes um some of my relations (laughs) why is this was hurley station near there is still a hurley there's yeah there's still a hurley i think it's a like the stop north at the side or i used to stop at the stewart's in hurley on my way to is that right to Southern <laughs> county yeah. <laughs> yeah you blink and miss it yeah but marble town all was that 299 i uh, yeah yeah or like 209 or 209 something like something, that. Yeah. yeah uh and then you get these that woman dies She's buried, and then you get these reports of um, at night in the orchards they see corny, corny, yeah, um, <laughs> and a woman in a black, you know, black dress, black veil. That that so the sorcerer, the fisherman, this this mysterious person is bringing people back to life. That's that's clearly the implication. Yes, um, and and. Um, Kind of and does ultimately because and it's and it's interesting. So that you know the story about Cornelius is um, pre Lottie's time. Oh yeah, because she's yeah. the she's the daughter of a family that moves into the area to help build the the reservoir. Immigrant families, yes, right? Germans uh, um, and mostly her, Italians and Germans, Italians, and, and, Germans, and some yeah. other. Um, and they kind of create a community to, you know, to, to go through and, and build this thing, which takes a long, I mean, and this is historically accurate, of course, and, and not surprising, takes many years to build because they have to build, of course, all of the infrastructure to dam up um, the Asopus Creek to create the reservoir. But then they also have to um, take everything out of there, right, remove everything from the uh, from the area, which I have to say, I'm not sure that that portion is true. 
Well, they, they did remove a. They removed a lot of it. They you know removed cemeteries. They, they that, removed... that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But um, because I know my father remembers when they did the our reservoir, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like they removed everything. Um, no, obviously, no, some some yeah. communities, some small communities were moved. Uh, individual people, you know, were eminent domain were paid yes. for the property to move out. Make sure you get the people out. Yes, got to get but the people out. In the valley, they used that they filled. He goes, you know, there were still there were still empty empty buildings down there, and there were still trees and and things mm-hmm. of that sort. So, yeah. you know, and and I imagine it was much different in 1910, but it was still a a just a and that's you know it's not that big a reservoir in the grand scheme of things. It was probably a tremendous tremendous undertaking. It's 190 feet deep, which I assume they did not dig because that was probably the natural features of where they put it. Mm-hmm. It's only roughly a mile across at all points, but it's 12 miles long, over 8,000 acres. And it took, which makes sense, but it took from 1912 to 1914. It took two years to fill. And of course, wow. they had to build the dam. Yep. Upstream on the probably Asopus. and probably multiple dams, I would think. There are multiple dams along there that all yeah. help feed New York City. Right, that's true, and they range from, you know, they can range from a, you know, a, a dam that's you know ten feet across and four feet high, to, you know, two hundred, three hundred feet long and thirty, forty, fifty feet high. Yep, all sorts of you know, all sorts of things going on up there simply to get water to New York city, which this was, Yep. this was an effort to get, to get New York city water. And it looked like it took about roughly eight years to do it. Yep. It was the first, I think, reservoir of many reservoirs that, that feed New York city. And it is a, and I mean, for those of you who are interested in, in, um, Reservoir Infra- history. <laughs> well, in, I mean, no, I mean infrastructure generally. It's it's a remarkable, um, it's a remarkable thing. The the New York reservoir system and how New York City it's gets ins- its water. It it's really insane. is. It's, it's insane. It really is remarkable. And I only know a bunch of that because one of my best friends from high school, still one of my best friends, Joe Ryan, worked for the New York City Water Department. Oh really? Oh wow! Oh yeah. Okay. He, yeah, yeah. For a short time, for five before he went to um, work out at Stanford in California, but um, he knew kind of the history of, of all you know a lot of the reservoirs, the wooden pipes that were bringing water. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep. And the size, and you know, I once asked him. I said, "What's the furthest point north that you could pinpoint that water will ultimately get into the New York City water supply? You know, and come out your tap, and it's someplace like." Someplace like north of Lake Placid, yeah. you know, I believe like, it. Yeah, yeah cr- I believe it. But um, and I like the background. You know, so they're going to build this reservoir. It's going to take close to a decade. They're going to use skilled and unskilled labor. Yep. Um, one person who is not skilled who comes over is a former professor in Germany, but he passes himself off as a Mason. So he gets one of the skilled jobs. He brings his right. family over. I was picturing. And of course, they're going to have to build this makeshift town where the workers are going to live. Yep. And I kind of was picturing that. Did you ever see the John Sales movie? Mate one. Yes. Yes. I was when they show the 
company town and the, oh yes the wooden yes, buildings yes, and the muddy yes. streets and that that's the kind of what came to mind yeah it didn't make it sound awful though in the in this novel hard work probably not good pay but they were paid they were fed probably probably back breaking work and you know it was it was finite amount of time it wasn't like they had a lifetime job um and that was just a bunch of locals and Italian, mostly Italian and German immigrants doing this, doing this work. And yep. And so in addition to Abe and Dan, what you have is the Schmitz. And I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, whether it's Rainier or Rainer. I thought it was Rainer. I mean, Rainer. That's, how that's how it's certainly written. Right. R-A-I-N-E-R. I, I saw it. I wanted to give it a French flair for some reason, even though he's German. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the story is really about his and his family's experience when the um, there's, a, there's a tragedy in the in the village where a neighbor's wife is killed. Which kills herself. She kills herself. Yeah. Um, and the story about Cornelius Ward and his strange visitor because either Cornelius at that time is still alive or, or relatively recently deceased but the stranger is still there's somebody still in the house the stranger is the, the implication is that the stranger is 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 still living there still living there and the house is not too far away a couple miles maybe correct yeah yeah not not, not uh yeah not not ridiculously far away and the next thing you know, this guy who's got got a number of children has lost his wife. Um, she's buried, and he stumbles off one night. Yes. And the next thing you know is um, he's back, and she's back. <laughs> she's, <laughs> doesn't Rainer goes hear screams and yells and goes next door and the wife is sitting at the table yes <laughs> and, and it, you know there was i was reading about the the wife is in the this little makeshift town for a couple days right yeah few, yeah. yeah 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 doing something i don't know what her like she's she's doing things but the there was a private I was reading this. I, I don't know how true it is because it was on the internet. Uh, good friends from Wikipedia, but the private police force that was up there to kind of keep the peace and, and law and order actually became the New York City Environmental Protection Agency Police Force. It's as good a good origination as any. <laughs> but it makes me. It does make me wonder why. No one showed up from like you know the boss's office to say what the hell is going on because you got this dead woman creeping around <laughs> doing things, um, and and then there's the story about that neighbor. The kids go to yeah. Uh, well, we don't you, we don't need to fill, we don't need yeah. To, can... We don't need to get into the we don't need to get into the details. I think in terms of of kind of everything that 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 happens. But there is a um, there is a a dead woman walking around. The cause of that woman is known. A couple other people end up dying and, and kind of being somehow reanimated. And Rainer, Rainer, uh, two Italian immigrants and a young 
German or Austrian immigrant who ultimately marries Rainer's daughter. Right. They team up and head up to Corny's place to see what they can do about things. Yes. Um, and that's the that's the, the that 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 whole flashback period. That's, I liked it. You no, know, it was great. And it was my and, favorite part. Yeah, the, it, and and that's what it's about, right? It's about this Cornelius Dort, who's wealthy and finds this stranger who presumably um, reanimates his dead wife. Same thing now happens in Lottie's time when she's young. I guess teenager probably is. is probably her age at the time um um and how that's dealt with and and that's where um um where we uncover kind of the core of what the horror is right underlying the book is is how rainer goes and leads the team to go and uh and stop it rainer's got some knowledge of this stuff he does from his yeah. time and the fatherland and there's the implication that his knowledge of this stuff is what got him fired um, right yes. from his university position. a little bit of a, a little bit of a scandal <laughs> yeah not clear exactly what happened but someone else was involved and i think there's even an implication that he no i'm sorry i, I was going to say that he that he knows the guy who's living in the house but i think that's not that's not right no he i th- wasn't it he had heard he had heard he had met someone or heard a story about yep. a man mm-hmm. who may have like tutored the man in the house for but that was like the 1600s or something right yeah yeah yes 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 he doesn't spell everything out he kind of leaves a lot of things very vague which adds i think to the the mystery and so instead of Instead yeah. of just like throwing everything in your lap and having to spell out everything in detail, it's he just drops these hints, which I always found was a sign of a good writer because it, it makes yeah. you have questions and they're not answered. And I think the answer is never quite as interesting as your mind might think it would be. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's always the sign of a good writer too. I think um, the, I agree. Leaves a uh, leaves a leaves a lot to the imagination, but at the same time, gives you some really 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 interesting um, little gems and 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 things to latch on to um, that work really well. It gets back to what I was saying before. I mean, in these in these chapters, you really get some of those some of those things that are really creepy. Right. Some of that imagery that he draws, like the, you know, the dead wife and kind of how she's driven away, the things that she does. Some really, really good writing in there to create that tension as well as that real creepiness. Well, there's two things maybe we can discuss. This is something I was going to throw out, but maybe now is a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain things uh, in horror thrillers that I'm just I'm a sucker for um, they've almost become tropes you might know they're coming um, it's not a surprise it's almost hackneyed at this point but I'm just a sucker for these things and one of the things I'm a sucker for is uh, there's a character who comes to town ends up in the house with a dead woman sitting at the table talking with her 
And then the next thing you know, the next thing they hear is like he went home back to town. He's not one of the I think he was like the undertaker no. or the assistant to the under or somebody. Right. This was back. in. Oh, OK. Yep. 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 And anyway, so after having this nice conversation with this reanimated corpse who who shows up with a broken body. Yes. Yes. She had been run down. Right. Right. By, right. By, Her death was right. She was she was um, run down by a carriage right. that was racing up the street. She she purposefully stepped in front of it. She doesn't come back in a pristine condition. At no. All. Nope. <laughs> and she talks with this gurgling sound, almost like she's got water in her throat, all this yep. stuff. Well, anyways, yep. and there's even though if she's dry, there's wet footprints all over the place. But yep. this man is in the house alone with her, talking with her. He leaves. He leaves. He's fine. It's not like she's, you know, attacking him. But the next thing they hear is he, he goes home and kills himself. And I am a sucker for that type of. Well, it, it's it, there, well, there's the I think you're confusing two of the stories because there is a, there's a there's an artist who meets Shalkin Dort's wife. Right. And he goes back and he paints, I think, like six paintings that are, you know, somewhat well known and then kills himself. But then there's the there's the guy who um, similar oh, sort of a story. Tri- the love. Yes, triangle. it's a, okay, it's a love right. triangle. And, and and he she tells him about his girlfriend's um, other. Yeah. Paramore. Suitor, and yeah. yes. And so it becomes a murder suicide. Um Kind of a thing, and and those things are done, yeah. And and there are those implications that there's, um, I think the Italian family, the, the, you know, there's some implication of some deep secret that somehow this woman knows, and and it's never really explained, right? She knows things she's not supposed to know. It's never yeah. explained. And there's I my sometimes on my nook, there's sometimes occasionally. It won't. The page won't turn when you tap it. Uh-huh. So then you have to go forward and move back. There was a part where, where the dead woman says something to, is it, as Andrea's wife, he's the yes. Italian immigrant. Yes. And I don't know if I missed it or not. Do you hear what she tells her? No. Okay. All right. No, you I don't. Just, all right. Yeah. Yeah. You I never did. Sure if, yeah. I wasn't sure if there was a glitch or not, but. That apparently is quite upsetting, whatever she said. It was very upsetting. And people and and the family wonders how she knows. Um, Yes, I did mix that up. But but I'm a kind of a sucker for that. The artist who sees Corny. Yep. Corny Dort with with what has to be his, you know, his dead wife is, is they're walking hand in hand through the orchard or through the fields or whatever. Yes, he goes back back home paint some stuff and ends up like slitting his own throat right that and his name is shalkin which is just another little homage to sheridan lafano's story shalkin the painter no i don't know that he's the guy he's the irish author he wrote carmilla the vampire story oh right yeah yeah yeah. he wrote a he wrote a short story called shalkin shalkin the painter so i think langan was just maybe given a little a little tip of the hat yeah. But I also like the thing where she, you know, tells the guy at the table and he goes back to the town, you know, the city. Yeah. The large, and all hell breaks loose, too. Just almost like a, just an agent of chaos who knows yes. these things. The other thing, and, and, you know, feel free to throw in if, if you have one of these. The other thing that always gets me, even when I expect it, 
Um, typically, it's visual, but I, I'm expecting it. It always creeps me out. Um, it's now a tro- it's it's now a trope, and when people do it, even when I raise my eyes, it kind of this kind of still creeps me still out. Still works. Is the um, the like in the ring or in stir of echoes? It's the it's the corpse that's come back alive or the ghost that moves in that hitching that hitched. Yes. Almost like they forgot how to move as a human being. So they kind of shamble along in this hitched kind of manner. Yes. And I'm just a sucker for that. That just screws me out whenever I see it. And, and it, in this novel, there's a description or two of yep. that almost as if these are, are beings that really, they're no longer human. And so they almost don't know how to use their bodies. Right. And that that's that's a creepy concept to me. Yes. <laughs> Even though it's not he's not breaking any new ground there. And and I think after Stir of Echoes in the Ring, that that imagery was overdone, but it, it gets yeah. me every time. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm with you. It it's a it's a really effective way to create real otherness, right? With um with a character or a creature. And yeah, it does does it does it really well and this all of this this whole backstory that we get through this through this lottie's tale call it um is filled with these again wonderful writing and imagery in my opinion that in many instances is is incredibly creepy including and i don't want to give away too much but including the description of the fisherman who we who we do meet and kind of his, uh, I'll call it ambivalence, at a certain level to our heroes. He's intent on his task. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 which I thought was done particularly later on in the book very, very well. Just it, it, that to me, right, is that, that notion of there's someone or something. And this is, I think, again, somewhat Lovecraftian, that really doesn't, care too much about you right only the only time he seems to is if he's being interfered with right right almost like he is he is obsessed with his task which he is and if you're just winding around you might get hurt but it's not really going to be he's not going to walk over and attack you right or anything like that it's when you start to interrupt him that he gets he gets kind of pissed off, right? <laughs> right, and there's is great, and and it, and that's why I think it 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 has that kind of Lovecraftian feel to it, is because there is there's not only that piece of it, because you always get that with Lovecraft, you always get the sense that you know that that otherworldliness is also or or old worldness, they just don't care about us at all. It's right? trying trying to describe giving giving his motivations. Um, things you and I might experience is almost like beside the point. It's right. It, he doesn't hate these guys. He doesn't hate when he confronts the team, and that's not really spoiling much. There's going to be a confrontation. We all know that. Right. It's not. He doesn't have anything against these men. No, he doesn't, he doesn't hate them. But they're if they get in his way, he's going to react. Yeah, if they disrupt what he's trying to achieve, and that's and that's what happens, right? And that's how it. How it how it kind of falls apart, 
as it were. I think, yes, if if they had shown up and just stood there watching him, I'm not even sure he would take notice of them or care. No, not at all. And uh, done again, very really the imagery of how they get there, the, the confrontation itself, the building of the band, the, the, the team, I think yeah. is is done quickly, but I think effectively. And that whole that whole bit of the story is is done done really well. Um, is there anything else about the, the the flashback story you want to talk about? I just really enjoyed the flashback story. I'm not surprised when I read that he was a he taught gothic literature. It's not technically yeah. gothic, but it has that it has that what lay people call gothic feel to it. Sure. And it's really kind of cool that even though it takes place, that portion takes place in the modern era. It's post 1900. Sure. It's in the United States. It's well, in for the most New York. For the most part. It's yeah. ni- 19th century and 20th century. Well, it's what Rainer's experiencing. I'm talking yeah, yeah. about. Oh, right. In, right, the, right. Yep. Yep. in the town when they're building the, the dam that the, 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 the immigrant sensibilities, the, the cultures that they mm-hmm. bring over from the, the old world to the new does lend it that kind of dark gothic feel to it yep. which is um he does he did it very effectively yeah yeah i don't think I there's think anything else just to say when you but well, this has nothing really to do with the old part the older part or the newer part i, I think he made a good choice i think a lot of people would have fallen down it is magic sorcery whatever you want to call it what those fishermen characters doing um if you tell the story about the guy in the house and you don't know what he's up to and there's strange lights at night and things of that sort it can build and build some like tension and pique your interest showing it is much more difficult yes and i think he had a choice to make like movies about this and Movies about sorcery and witchcraft to me often usually fall flat when they actually try to show you what's going on because yeah. a lot of times it'll just like two people mumbling words or you know in a very or the stereotype you know doing an incantation and you know using herbs and fire and this and that yes and it's just like oh okay here it's like trying to do a mummy movie seriously now yeah. You know, it's like a serious mummy movie. It's like, it's just really, really hard to do. So he made a choice and it's, he, it's almost like he's writing when they confront, when they see what the fisherman's up to, he's almost like they've stepped into a metaphor. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the best way to go with this stuff. Because a lot of times that stuff doesn't work. It it doesn't, and he. I think he succeeds because he doesn't try to ground it. You know, he doesn't really try to show you what happens, right? He doesn't, or or how you, because it's it is otherworldly, right? Because oh yeah, right? Oh and, yeah, sure. And, and so you you are transported to some other place in 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 a in a sense, right? In in here, and he doesn't he doesn't you know, show you the witchcraft, right. Of how necessarily you go from one place or the other, other than just kind of these right writings. Right. 
And so it's a really nice, easy, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have the, as you were saying, you know, the smoky herbs, you know, blowing in the wind and stupid incantations emoted by people with, you know, silly grins on their faces and all those sorts of things. It's just, it's, he gets you there really quickly yeah. so that you don't have to wrestle with, oh, that was kind of, you know, what, a, why do I care about this stuff? And it doesn't try to make that stuff spooky or, or eerie. He just gets you to the place that it is eerie because of, of what it is. Right. And it's different and it's bizarre and you don't really know what's going on. <laughs> and certainly the evil presence as we were saying before, it's just kind of there, right? Not necessarily malevolent, just there. Yeah, it's almost as if you mind your own business, you're not going to be involved in any of this. Yeah. Although there's a, there's a degree to which you, and we, we kind of figure this out later, it's not completely that way. Because there's a there's a reason for um, um, there's a there's a reason there is some connectivity to our world, call it, which is some need of the fishermen's that we we kind of we 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 sort of learn about um, a little bit later on. Again, not fully explained, but I think all the better for it. Not ultimately, yes, people would be affected, but in the in the present time if you're not trying to do anything to him or interfering with one of his minions, right. Um, you just can go about your life. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Good. That's yeah. I'm done. I mean, you have um, some observations to make about the, 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 the current timeline with Abe and Dan. Um, I, I think in some of the current timeline is where some of the writing is not as good. There's some, in my opinion, fairly ham-fisted foreshadowing uh, at times. And I think at times the writing doesn't quite match how good the rest of the writing is. Not, and, and this is, this is a, this is really is a, a minor comment. I mean, but I, but I do think that some of the foreshadowing that he, he sticks in there, it just, it wasn't needed. Right. Um, and ultimately, um, I personally don't think he quite lands the finish, although there are some very um, effective scenes because, of course, we've gotten the flashback and then our heroes have heard this and they've got to go and have their adventure. Um, and I don't want to get into to too many details about their adventure, but suffice it to say, the theme of of um widowers right um is consistent (laughs) so you know what happens in the past happens in the future um and um you know there's ultimately some resolution but not complete resolution which i think is good but he doesn't i i I don't think i'm kind of curious your perspective Uh, i don't think that he quite lands it at the end i like a lot of things yeah the ending i don't think the 
ending is as good as the rest of the book. I, I mean, I would if I was going to grade it, I, I don't know. I give this book like a B or B plus, which is mm-hmm. high praise. Actually, I'm not. Yeah, trying to be a jerk, you know. If you, if um, The Great Gatsby is an A, you know. Yeah, and this for a horror novel is a B plus or, or whatever. It's it's a good book, but yeah, the I don't think he quite knew. Well, the, the two the two endings, the kind of when most of the action is over, mm-hmm. um, there's some logistical problems there, mm-hmm. and yeah, then the very but also ending, again some but also some some fantastic imagery, yes, and creepiness as oh, yeah. well. I mean, just fantastic, definitely, yeah, definitely. Like I I don't because they have experiences when they finally reach Dutchman's Creek. So, yeah, you know, we, yeah. And, and so just, Mike, well, I'm sorry, just to, just to pause for a moment um, and digress. One of the reasons for that is, and I don't think that we, we kind of explained this. And I don't think we're giving away. I mean, it's in the back of the book. Dutchman's Creek has a reputation and if a bad, you, a bad reputation. <laughs> it also doesn't seem like a lot of people know about it. And to nobody, with. yeah, you can't find it on Google Maps, right? And you can't. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's hard to find. It's and it's dangerous. And uh, Howard tells them, well, you know, at least eight people have died um, in the last twenty years fishing there, and probably more. Um, and so it's it's got a it's got a bad reputation. But you know, they want to fish there anyway. And I think Dan's pushing it and um Dan, and there's some definitely. backs and there's backstory there as well which we don't need to we don't need to get into but when you and this is a good part so this is why one of the reasons i really like the book and i think it's done really well is that the 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 first part of the book you know before they get to the diner and they hear the story is one part of the book and it's you know i don't know 40 pages or i mean it's 50 pages some yeah no it's know, a decent, decent amount life. Yeah, and you get all this 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 stuff, and it's again well written. It's good. It sets the mood, I think, nicely. You get this big flashback, and by the time the flashback ends, and you get to the third act, you have all of the elements in place, right, for the conclusion to unfold in a way that's going to be, you know, have all those creepy elements to it, but also have those emotional elements to it. You're forewarned, of course, so you kind of know what's coming, kind of. Um, so it's done. I think it's done really well. The whole setup is done really well. And th- that part of, of Dan and Abe's adventure together has a few problems to it, but it, 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 it still generally works, I think. What I don't understand is the Cornelius request intervention regarding his wife right the man from the the um, company town where they're building the reservoir seeks intervention regarding his dead spouse yes that i understand i don't understand like if you and i went fishing at dutchman's creek um our spouses are still alive our bulk of our loved ones are are still alive would would anything happen i we're not seeking anything from anybody i don't that yeah no that seems a little it 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 doesn't quite 
it, it doesn't quite work. Um, I, I grant you that. Um, I think that that's true. There, there's that kind of a flaw to it. There's a, there's a big plot device missing, <laughs> call it to get us, uh, you know, to get us to that stage. And you can kind of construct um, something because, of course, you know, one of the things that happens, of course, and this is this is just historical fact, is that the Ashokan is created, and all this stuff that's happened in the past is now gone. Right? It's on the bottom of a reservoir. Um, and the, you know, the, 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 you, you were definitely given, it's, it's kind of clear, at least it was clear to me, certainly in reading the, the book that, you know, our, our hero in the flashback, Lottie's father knows that the success that they've had is not complete yes. success. Right. I mean, they've kind of, it's the, you know, we've we've done in our time the thing that we can do, right? Our our job is done, sort of a thing, and so you know, there's this thing simmering there, and I think that the you know the implication is that um, it's just a different set of circumstances now, and these guys are maybe susceptible, and I think I think the implication may be that. Dan thinks that if he goes to Dutchman's Creek, there may be some chance for his wife. And ch- children. And children, sorry. Oh, that's yeah. definitely an implication for Dan. Yeah. Here's, um... um but it is that... interesting, but your question is a good one. It is that if you haven't had that kind of a loss, is there that same, call it opportunity, right, to right. encounter? Yeah, I don't know. This is, I, I think the answer is no. I'm going to go with no. The answer is no. The and this is a kind of a a trope I've seen and I've never understood it. I don't I have a hard time suspending disbelief for this. This is the I've experienced a loss and I'll do mm. anything to bring it back. And you see this in such you know, pop culture, you know, things such as uh Stephen Pet Cemetery, Stephen yeah. King. My kid died. Just, I've heard rumors that if you bury something, you know, up beyond the pet cemetery, the the person will come back. It's like okay. And then you actually get it in another in Anakin Skywalker, which is kind of a char- <laughs> character and a movie I loathe. Um, oh dear! When Lord. he's, you can stop death, and she'll never have to die. And then. Even Abe in this book is like, your wife died, dude. It sucks. Okay, yeah. it's a yeah. huge, it's a huge lot. So the idea I'm getting at is not that Dan's a different story. Dan's family was wiped out in a car accident. I actually thought it would make much more sense if Dan actually ended up committing suicide before they even went to Dutchman's Creek. Yeah, yeah. Because he was so. Losing a loved one is awful on a scale of one to 10. Losing a spouse or a child is like a 10 or an 11 or losing a child, 11 or 12. It's awful. I, I'm not, <laughs> but this, this kind, first of all, it's like these people have never seen a horror movie. You just yeah. don't do that. <laughs> you don't mess with that stuff because it never works. It never works out. Yeah. No. It never works out. 
Um, listen to Fred Gwynn. Don't take a kid up to the old Micmac burial ground. Okay. <laughs> it's not good. Um, that idea that the person you've lost is such a part of your life that you've essentially shut down other than doing the bare necessity to live, such as like eating enough to live, drinking enough water to live. Um, and it, that is, I really have a hard time suspending my disbelief in a lot of those instances. Like Abe is still deep in the throes of grief. Like not, not, not a new wound, right? This is like a decade or two later. Yeah. It's still so deep in the throes of this. I've known people have lost children in spe- and it's awful. It's terrible. They struggle every day, but they do get up. They go to work. Sometimes they remarry. They have more children, and they, the people I've known for the most part, have have dealt with it. At least when you see them in public, they're fully functioning members of society. They're not drinking themselves out of a job, right? Um, they're able to get up, throw a suit on, go to work. And I know it's over time, but. It's like Abe lost his wife. I think he's like 50 something, right? Early 50s when the book starts or even later. Uh, older, I, think, I think he's old. No, he's retired. So he may have lost his wife like 30, 40 years ago. Right. When he's I'm sorry. When are you? Ta- are you talking about when he meets Dan or are you talking about when he's writing the book? I t- when he meets Dan, how old is he? When he meets Dan, I think he's in his late 30s, early 40s, maybe. But his wife has been dead for like a decade, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he must be. Yeah. So I'm sorry. So he's probably closer in his 40s. So I'm not making. I'm not. I'm not saying, oh, oh, come on. (laughs) Shake it off. Yeah. (laughs) Walk walk off and get moving. But (laughs) the depth of his grief and the length that the wound seems to be like open and bleeding just seems so excessive to me. And the same thing with. Even though it deals with kids, which is awful, but in when they do it in the pet cemetery, it's just like, yeah, I, it's just if I could suspend this belief and put myself in the same position, it'd be like, no, it, it's it's not a it's not like they died in bed of old age, but this is this happens. I I'm not going to try to meddle with nature. I'm yeah, I'm I'm going to work on the assumption that. Um neither my wife nor any of my kids will be listening to this podcast. So I'm going to agree with you completely that if, if they die and I hear about, you know, some, <laughs> some place to bring them back to life, I love them. I would do anything for them. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> if one of, God forbid, if one of my children died, especially the child, because that's just so unnatural to yeah. bury a child. Yeah. It's, I would be devastated. Yeah. I would be, but you're right. It's kind of like to just. It's still part of. It's a. It's a nasty part of life. But it's still a natural part of life. Sometimes children die. Sometimes spouses die. So these. I. I always have a hard time even like buying into. Yeah. The underlying. Yeah. Um, the my whole lo- underlying thing. Right. That, my 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 love okay, is. Okay. So you hear about the burial so, Yeah, my love is just so kind of all-consuming that and and the only thing that matters is the possibility of seeing them again maybe 
you know, maybe it's that, uh, you know, first three weeks honeymoon phase you get like that, right? Maybe that's the whole Ben Mears thing. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I'm with you. Yeah, so we had, had a little technical difficulty. I think you cut me off just to save me from the wrath of my family. Well, no, I know I'm not willing to bring them back to life. It's a really touchy subject (laughs) to say, like, I don't quite understand the complete depth of this person's grief when his wife died. Step out of it. (laughs) Well, it's just when I watch something like Star Wars and Anakin sitting there is like, uh, I'm going to make it so you never die. It's like, just fucking grow up, dude. People <laughs> people live their lives and pass away. What are you talking about? You're this is stupid. Um yeah. oh I'm done though. That's the fisherman. I'm glad I read it. I probably won't read it. It's just not something I may revisit. There's no there's no break in it. It's so dark. It is. It yeah, that's a really good point. There there yeah, it, it is a it's a dark book from beginning to end. There's very little, what, light and optimism to it. No. It's, it's just, a, it's sad, like, all the way through. It's bleak, it's dark, and, um, but that said, for the genre, a good, interesting work, I think. Yeah, no, and, and again, I would, I would recommend people reading it. I, I love the notion of people being able to bring that um, um, kind of that, uh, as I said, the, the um, Lovecraftian kind of horror um, into a modern setting. I think that's fantastic. Anybody who can figure out how to get away with that and, and do it effectively, which I think he did. Um, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that. And I appreciate it personally. I'm really like that stuff. Um, and so to me, you know, if you're a horror fan and, and you like um, also, uh, you know, the um, um, it, the genre historically, I think it's an interesting book to read to see how, how it works. And I will say also, I'm, you know, this guy is not a guy who makes a living writing. And so if you can go and spare the nickel and buy his book and... Um, you know, in, improve his, his readership. I'm, I'm all for that too. Me too. Me too. Um, have you, uh, watched or read anything interesting you want to tell us about? Yeah. You know, I, um, I, uh, got a book not all that long ago, um, and read it. I'm almost done with it. I'm not quite done with it. Um, and I got it because it was identified as one of the best autobiographies by a comedian. It's, um, an autobiography and co-written. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but um, growing up, and I haven't watched any in a while, but I know I would enjoy them. I was a big Marx Brothers fan. I loved the movies. I like those movies as well. I thought that they were just hysterical. I thought the three characters were fascinating. Um, even as a youth, I remember thinking to myself, how did how do you create <laughs> a, a Chico or a yeah. Harpo or a Groucho even? They just seem so utterly foreign and alien and bizarre. Um, 
Um, but, <laughs> well, they, but they were, and they were, yeah. I mean, but, but, but they were great. And, and I read somewhere, I can't remember where that Harpo's autobiography is one of the 10 great, you know, autobiographies of a, by a comedian. Um, and so I decided to read it. Um, I have to say, I'm a little bit disappointed. Um, it is much more of a, oh, I'm a famous person. And so here's some stuff that you might be interested in kind of an autobiography mm. as opposed to um, an autobiography that, you know, delves deeply into um, what made this person famous and in, in terms of their craft. Although he does, I, to, to, to give credit where credit is due, he does do that to a certain degree. And it is very interesting to kind of hear and to learn about how they um, came to be. It is, it is truly a fascinating story and a rags to riches, I mean, literal rags to riches story. Um, and it was interesting also to learn that Harpo um, had, uh, didn't even get through the second grade before he left school. Oh, um, back then, probably not all that uncommon. Maybe not all that uncommon, but, but, was, but was clearly a very smart, I mean, I think the three of them were, were uh, and four of them, five of them, actually. Five of them at one point, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, there, was it, the, there, was, there was this guy who was the straight guy, kind of the romantic lead in some of those There was movies. Zeppo, who was the yeah. youngest brother. And then there was also Gummo, who Gummo. left before they started making movies. Um, but both Gummo and Zeppo were very successful um, yeah. because Zeppo left at, at one point and they were, they were very successful outside of the entertainment business actually got back into it as agents, I think, and were very successful that way. Um, but, um, but hearing, you know, him talk about how they came about and also his own amazement at what he has had done in his life, because he did a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't know about. For example, he was the first entertainer to American entertainer to go to the Soviet union. Once the Soviet union had been recognized by the United States. And he, you know, tells about his, his, his travel there and, and um, what he experienced there. Uh, and he was also <laughs> someone who never spoke, at least, you know, not when, when any of us saw him and had, didn't have a second grade education. He was a part of the Algonquin discussion groups uh, oh the round yeah i didn't know that That's yeah funny. That's now he's now he says and i suspect that this is to a certain degree true he's he he says he he got invited by um uh what's the name alexander walcott i think um who was a critic at the time and well known and and who loved the marx brothers and loved harpo's um contributions in particular and harpo says that he he really was there just because he was a good listener and he would just let people talk and he would listen and didn't really say all that much. And he said, that's kind of how he got, uh, got involved. And, um, you know, they had lots of hijinks, of course, this was the tw roaring twenties, um, did all sorts of crazy stuff, but, um, and it's interesting from that perspective, just to kind of think about that person in association with people like George Bernard Shaw, who he <laughs> knew. Right. And, um, um, Somerset Maughan, who he knew, right, and, and all all these sorts of all these sort of Oscar Levant, and um, so it was, you know, it's interesting from that kind of a perspective, but um, you know, historical, I would say, 
not incredibly interesting from the perspective that I was kind of interested in, which was really reflections on what it is, you know, what comedy is and, and how you do it and how you achieve it. I, I actually really like listening to comedians talk about those things. And I don't know if you've seen it, but Jerry Seinfeld has this thing of, uh, called comedians in cars getting yeah. coffee, yeah. which I, I love because he generally tries to engage the comedians in talking about their craft and how they do it and what is funny and how they identify what is funny. And I, I find that very interesting and fascinating. And quite frankly, I enjoy hearing about anybody who's a, you know, master craftsman kind of talk about their craft. I think it's, um, uh, I think you, you can learn an awful lot about it. And so the book is a little bit disappointing in that regard, but it really is interesting from kind of an old Hollywood um, kind of perspective. And, and if you, you know, were ever interested in the Marx brothers and their um, origination, um, of course, you're getting it from the horse's mouth. So um, uh, I think it's, I think it's good that way. So, you know, worth it if you're interested in that sort of a thing. Um, if you're, um, if you're not, don't bother. Um, I always be- wanted to be the straight man in the Marx brothers movies. The one who's involved in the romance who befriends them somehow yeah. like in the yeah. Abbott and Costello movies, Abner Costello yeah. always ended up teaming with the guy who wanted the girl. Yeah. And so you could just, if you could just be involved in there's like craziness, it would be fun. Like a night at the opera or uh, if, you could, keep, if the... you could keep a straight face. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got to say, and just thinking back about some of those things in some of those movies now, um, I, I don't know if I would be able to keep a straight face. I could that, that I, I love that. I, I love the Marx Brothers and the Abbott and Costello movies. They don't tend to make me laugh out loud at all that much. Oh, at really? All. Oh, I, I like them for their kind of innocence, quaintness, um, maybe innovation at the time, but they're not the type of things that really make me, at, at this point, like laugh out loud or anything. I'm sorry. It's, it's, Abbott, it's, Abbott and Costello, no. Marx Brothers, I think, probably would. I haven't gone back and rewatched in a while, but I think that they would make me uh, laugh out loud. Yeah. See, anyway, it's, funny, so it's, it's funny you mentioned um, comedians in cars because I, I've been rewatching Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> Especially after The Fisherman, I needed something light. <laughs> I was always curious. Uh, I really liked Seinfeld when it was on. Um, but I'm always curious. I had not revisited it. You know, you see it in, it's on in the 90s. Um, you catch it in reruns for a few years because you always enjoyed it. Then it kind of disappears for a while. And I was wondering now, like, it's probably a decade since I really watched it. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, like, does this hold up? And I had a feeling it, it wouldn't hold up as well as I initially would have expected. It was, it's a time and place type of thing. So many... It was yeah. such a trailblazer in a lot of ways that so many other shows have now picked up on that, that yep. if you just showed someone Seinfeld, they might say something like, oh, this is a trope. This has been done before. And you'd have to tell them, no, no, no. Right. This, this, is, <laughs> this, this is, is it. This, this created the trope. <laughs> um, but I was pleasantly surprised that, that, I'll, that most of it is still really, really funny. And it was nice to take such a long break from it. Because there was things I recalled being almost like, oh, I remember that episode was really, really funny, but I had forgotten a lot of the details. So it was nice to mm-hmm. go back and almost see it again. And 
I'll say it. Like I, my, my son watched a lot of Friends and a couple shows from the '90s, and I don't think a lot of the stuff he watched holds up all that well. And he also watched Seinfeld, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised. A lot of the stuff is still good. Laughed out loud plenty of times. It's it it holds up. I think one of the reasons that show holds up and and I'm kind of like you, I watched it in the 90s and, you know, tracked it a little bit in reruns. Um, I think one of the reasons that show holds up is why a couple of other shows that um, not as good and I'm not going to claim they're as good, um, but which, um, in my uh, uh, opinion, have a have a, a similar sort of a, a feel to them is because in, in Seinfeld, they were not afraid of the absurd, right? They were not afraid of people getting way overly obsessed about right. things they really had no business being obsessed about or characters who were so crazy. They just, you just wouldn't, you, you would never meet, right? That person, right? right? Kind of things. Um, or situations that, that were just, absurd that way um and i think one of the things that they did is they didn't you know they didn't make it over the top right i mean they took a thing that you would experience or or a kind of person that you might meet or has a certain type of characteristic and they would just amplify it right significantly and make it crazy um but they weren't afraid of it you know they weren't afraid of just going off the deep end that way and I think that's one of the reasons they were able to, uh, or that it has such lasting power. And the two other shows that I'm thinking about, and there are probably others like this as well. And again, I wouldn't say these are as good, but one of them was a show, I don't know if you recall, it was called Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I didn't watch it, but I, re- I remember it. It was, yeah, I remember it. It, it has a similar sort of a thing where it had, it, it, you know, your avatar was, you know, basically normal person although he would go off into extremes at times but it was the people around him were kind of you know absurd caricatures the satellites of the main character yeah yeah and um i thought it was a really good show what Um, was the other what's the other show and the other one was a kid's show oh god yes 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 yeah yeah we talked about that about pete and pete the adventures of pete and pete yeah that was that was uh that was a really wacky show. Crazy show, but it had that similar sort of a uh, a thing to it. Maybe a little bit more to the extreme. It's like I'm a charming, it. charming quirkiness to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but... probably don't hold up as as well as Seinfeld because I think the writing in Seinfeld was just outstanding, and I would say they had the perfect cast. And here's the thing, too: when I watch, when I throw on a half hour show. Um, say on Hulu, um, that that is currently on the air. Say, it is about nineteen minutes long. Hmm. You go, you'll go back to Seinfeld, and those are twenty three, twenty four minutes, and that makes a difference. That that three, four, five minutes in a half hour show, watching Seinfeld, and I'm like, boy, this feels. Wow, this feels longer than, and it was. It was. It was. It was four to five minutes longer than a show today, that huh. half hour show. And if you go back even further, my my wife was um, flipping through one of the one of the I don't know if it was Hulu or, or Netflix, whatever it was, and she stumbled across All in the Family, 
mm. which was a half hour show. Um, Bewitched, which is a half hour show, and the Andy Griffith show, which is a half hour show. Now you're talking about 25, 26, 27 minutes. I thought you were going to say 35. No. <laughs> they figured out oh. how to cram an extra five minutes in. And the only, other thing, the only other thing I'll mention is um, when I watched, uh, rewatched a couple of the old Kolchak, the Night Stalker episodes. Oh, God. I love those. From 71, 72, 55 minutes. It's almost wow. like you feel like you're watching a movie. Nice. They're that long. So. Yeah, if you enjoyed Seinfeld, I think you'll. Uh, not every show holds up well. I th- I think that one really holds up well. So yeah. Oh, you know what? Um, I'll I'll make a recommendation to you before we go, which is, it, it the comedy may not be your taste, but a show that I think does a similar sort of a thing is uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. No, that's that's my taste. That's a really funny show. Okay. Yeah. Great, great show. I, my kids yeah. turned me on to it. I, 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 ca- I can't imagine the person who greenlit that show. I have They're to say, such miserable human beings. <laughs> I, I, I can't binge watch it all that long. I, can I know watch two or three episodes, <laughs> but they miss terror. But it is another. It's very Seinfeld. That it's almost like the, a natural. You wonder that yeah. there's, there's a lineage there, right? Yeah. From the from the self centered kind of you know type to. Um, it's always sunny. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. Cool. Thanks. You bet. Talk to you later. All right. Have a good weekend. Bye.